All right, Daniel chapter 3, verse 14, here's what it says. It says, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes. I have to resist the urge to comment on how much outfit is going on here, because we already have a trouser and a turban and a robe, but that's not to mention all the other clothes they were also wearing on this particular occasion. They were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. Don't miss this. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. 
As we close out this message series, Up in Smoke, I want to preach to you a message that I'm calling Worth Dying For. Come on, anybody have faith to believe that God's going to move in power? Jesus, we ask and pray that you would show us something brand new about who you are and that we could see in ourselves these same qualities that are being held up from these three Hebrew children as a result of your work in our lives because you are the very same God who worked in their lives on this day. And we have access to what made them so strong then even now. Help us to see it. Help us to believe it, even though oftentimes it doesn't seem like it. And we ask that if even one person is here who doesn't know you, in this moment, you would draw them to yourself by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. And everyone who believes said together, Nebuchadnezzar was king around 600 BC at this time of this story where he and his Babylonian empire had pulled an Alexander the Great and, and conquered the world, right? Or we could have said Napoleon, Bonaparte. We could have said Julius. He, they, he, but he was at the top of the food chain. He was in that rarefied air with other dictators who had basically conquered the entire earth. And one of the things that he had the habit of doing was taking captives from countries he overturned, from, from countries he conquered. He would bring the best and the brightest back home to serve in his city. And so those who were teenagers would be what he'd be thinking for. So he'd, he'd be going, if he took over America, he'd be going to Harvard, he'd be going to Yale, he'd be going to MIT. And he would, he would basically, like, no, you're coming with me now. And he would change their names. Because all three of these Hebrew children, we read their names like 15 times, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were not their God-given names. These were not their, their names where they were, were given as Israelites, as, as people who uh, followed the God of the Bible. He changed their names and gave them all names that paid homage to Babylonian deities. And so they went through this intense brainwashing situation. But then eventually, they were going to ultimately serve in his cabinet. That was the goal. And these three that we are reading about, they were a part of that remnant, that were, that, were that, that group of people that were taken captive and dragged off in chains as teenagers to live in Babylon. Now, uh, what we know of these three Hebrew children and their friend Daniel, who is the author of the book that we are reading, is that they chose to respond to their time living in Babylon the same same way that we are called by God to approach living in the culture that we live in, to, in today. That is to say that we would follow Christ being in the world, but not of the world. Right. Now, that, that's easy to roll off the tongue because it's a verse that's somewhat familiar, but so many of us struggle with it every single day. Why is it so hard to live in the world, but not of the world? Because what's far easier as Jesus followers living in a world that does not follow Jesus, because can we all agree? Our culture, the gods that are worshipped, the way of life, the worldview, what is normal today is not like honor Jesus, love God, live your life seeking him first, focus more on heaven than on here and now. No, that's not the plan. That's not the goal. That's not what we, uh, what we think of today, what we see today. So we have to, we, we're, we're living in the midst of Babylon right now. So we have to, like Jesus said, live in the world, not of the world. And that means there's two mistakes that we must not make. Mistake number one is separation. Separation where we try and pretend like we're already living in heaven. Uh, Christian bubble, Christian everything, uh, offended by the world, la, 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 la. Like the, the world doesn't exist. It's evil and bad. It's got cooties on it. So we're going to live over here in this compound, 20, 
floors below the earth. We have a lot of rations. We're going to make it, right? That, that's the separation. The problem with separation is that you bring sin and defilement into your bunker with you, in your heart. And so you can't escape sin because you've got some inside of you, too. Uh, so we're, we're trying to avoid being defiled, but we've brought in with us the most sinister of all, pride and, and religion and smugness. And plus, that, that's not to say anything of the fact that you can't reach a world you've abandoned. You can't reach a world you're hiding from. You can't reach a world you, don't, you won't allow yourself to touch. And so separation is not a great plan. The other often repeated mistake is imitation. This is where we don't want to separate, so we just basically, we worship the gods of this world. We basically live exactly like those who, who are in this world, and we're so eager to, to not offend anyone that we don't stand up for anything. And uh, basically, we don't have anything to offer them because we've become identical to them in worldview. We're meant to be a peculiar people in a certain way. We're meant to, to have different values. Uh, and so uh, separation and imitation are both equal mistakes. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did that was so wise is they did exactly what we're supposed to do, and that's to not choose either of those, to know that we'll always find tension because we'll be being, at any given moment, we're being pulled in one of those two directions. Sometimes in the same day, sometimes in the same school day, sometimes in the same work day, sometimes in the same email you're writing, you find yourself wanting to separate, having to catch yourself, wanting to imitate, having to, to correct that too. So what do you got to do? You got to infiltrate. That's number three. That's right in the middle. Infiltrate. We're not going to separate from the world. We're not going to imitate it. We're going to infiltrate the world with the love of God. We got to be in it without being of it so we can give something to it. Then we can build it. Then we can change it. Then we can love it. Then we can touch it. Then we can show it the way that's the way, the truth, and the life. By, by, by getting our hands dirty, by getting in to know people, by not being offended by the fact that sinners sin, it's what they do, and so do we, right? It's loving them who, who, as we follow a perfect God imperfectly. And being on the journey with people and, and being in the communities and being in the city. This is why Rock the City is, is so important to us. If you're watching on TV, we do what so many churches try to do and love the cities that we're in. We're in 12 beautiful cities. And our church online family jumps in and shows the love of Jesus in other cities as well. It's amazing to see when that happens. But we're trying to seek the peace of the city. We care about the parks. We care about the schools. We care about people having blood to have put into them in transfusions. We're going to go willingly give our blood. Why? We're following someone who's the original blood donor. He shed his blood on the cross, so we're willing to give a little bit of ours, too. We want to get our hands dirty. We want to get our feet dirty. We want to we be around the brokenness of our, of our cities and, 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 and infiltrate workplaces. And we're not trying to, oh, we'll create a sub-Christian culture of this. And th no, we want to be in the arena. We want to be in politics. We want to be in government. We want to be in sport. We want to be in all of these things, not so that we're insulated, but so that we can constantly be doing what Jesus said to do, to give, to show, to serve, to love. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are prototypes for how we should, sh should love and serve and have influence. So they're brought in. They could have reacted one way. Oh, I, we should be back in Israel. They're not in Israel, and you're not going to be there for a long time. All right? What can we do here? Right. See, so many people live focused on what's been taken from them, and they forget about what can't be taken away. If we would live more, what can't be taken away? They could take me out of Israel, but they can't take the God of Israel out of me. He is with me here. I'm going to let this be a little expression of the Holy Land wherever I walk, wherever I go. And so, okay, you're in chains now. You're brought into Babylon. What are you going to do? Do the best job you can. Okay, so that's exactly what they did. And living the way they did, 
was a great plan until the day it came to a head when part of the responsibilities of being a citizen of Babylon was, oh, the king built a really giant statue made of gold, and he's ordered that everyone has to bow down and worship it. Now, at this point, they were at a dilemma because their goal is to seek the betterment of Babylon, see the king thrive. They were in literally his inner circle. We'll talk about how they got into that in just a little bit longer, but they got favor and influence that's scary in the kingdom. But then one day, the king has this crazy idea. Wish I could tell you the backstory of his resisting the grace of God. This, this statue was him resisting the grace of God because God had done something crazy to speak to Nebuchadnezzar, and he was fighting against it. And uh, he was doing what in the New Testament later Acts uh, would, would, would describe as kicking against the goats. God was goading Nebuchadnezzar, trying to reach him with his love. And this is his, his statue is his fighting against that and uh, trying to scare God away. And, you know, so he's, he's, you, everyone has to worship this, this, this statue. Now, their goal is to infiltrate but to worship this God would be to imitate. So they can't do it. They can't, they can't do this. Why? Because here's how they were raised. Here's what was imprinted on their heart when they were just babies. The Bible says, you shall have no other gods before me. Look at this. Next verse. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything of heaven above, earth beneath, or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So they had to choose between God and honoring man here. And when that, when that push comes to shove, what they had to do, what they were modeling for us how to do is to say, respectfully, we must not bow. We'll, we'll do everything we can. We'll be the best employees we can. But this is something that we cannot do. And the king said, if you don't, you're dead. And they said, but our faith in God is worth dying for. We are willing. We're willing. To, I mean, can you not celebrate that kind of Man, respectfully, king, your majesty, then, then we have to go into the oven. 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, a kiln used for baking bricks. They said, please show us the way to the oven then, because we'll honor you. We'll serve you the best we, we, of anybody of our effort, but we will have to die then. And I think all of us just want that to be in us on that day. Let's, let's deconstruct it then and try and figure out how, because I don't think it's an accident that they, were, they, they ended up here at this place at the top of the mountain, right? There's an old saying that says, if you see someone at the top of a mountain, he didn't fall there. And I think it's easy in the Bible to go in, at a moment like this and go, man, they're at the top of the mountain, and just assume they fell there and hope that, this, that we'll fall there too. But you don't fall up a mountain. And, and you don't just accidentally end up one day with the kind of guts and steel in your spine that causes thousands of years later people to still be stirred by the story of what was written on your soul. So, so how'd they get there? Here's, I, I, I think, a couple things, jot them down. I think there was a consistency in behavior that we should celebrate. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, long before they're, they're jumping into this fire, uh, they, they were consistent day by day with small decisions in little ways in behavior. Oh, it's great to talk about the plain of Dura and a 70-foot tall statue. And you, you think, yeah, I mean, I would do the same thing. You know, I would die for God. I mean, I mean that's great. Would you live for him? Well, I would die for him. <laughs> it, that's great. But what about like tomorrow at work? Would you live for him? 
What about like when you're watching TV and you're choosing what you watch and bring in your, will you live for him? Consistency in behavior. Well, you're kind of reading that into the text. Oh, no, no, I'm not. Is actually like the backstory. If you read Daniel 1 this week, it started with carrot sticks. It started with carrot sticks. Uh, first day on the job, it was like, hey, orientation, here's what you eat, here's the thing, here's where you're going to read, here's how you're going to study. And they were like, oh, man, there's some dietary issues here. And we're, we're not being picky, but we, some of the things we're supposed to eat, we're not supposed to eat. And uh, so there's this beautiful moment where they just were willing to say, hey, could, could you? And it was so cool how they framed it. They were just so diplomatic. The guy who was supervising the program, they said, let's do a test. Instead of saying, we can't eat that, you pig. How dare you eat such foul things? They were so diplomatic. Daniel's like, well, obviously, well, the king wants us to be really healthy, and this is what you're feeding us, and that makes total sense. Actually, it's probably the best thing anyone should eat. But here's a crazy thought, and he suggested what they wanted to eat, because what they were supposed to eat, which, which just at that moment would be vegetables and water. He's like, what if you just ran us as a pilot program, a test? You know, who, well, who knows what could happen if for 10 days, let's say, we just ate that, then you let everybody else eat the regular stuff, then you test us, compare us. Hey, if we're not healthier, we'll, we'll, we'll be happy to, to, to figure something else out. But, 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 and so they, they drew a line in the sand on small things, is my point. Yeah. And of course, at the end of the 10th day, they were better looking in complexion, in strength, in vitality than all those that were eating the delicacies brought in from the king's table and the wine that he drank. And they were healthier, they were better, they were fitter, and so they were allowed to stay on what they wanted to bring into their bodies for the rest of the entire program. So, so, so how do you get one day to, to have this kind of uh, amazing strength? I believe it starts in the small decisions that you're pre-making day by day. I'll have you notice that when uh, they got to this moment that they were, uh, they were asked, like, Are you not, we'll heat it up seven times hotter, and you'll have to go in. They said, we don't even need to think about it. He was basically saying, take a moment and think about what's going to happen. They go, we don't, we don't, we don't actually need to. Our, our decision was made long ago when we got here. And we decided that God first, and after that, we're going to honor each other and honor the king and do the best job we possibly can that he put inside of us. But they said, there's certain things we can't do. There's certain things we can do. Some of y'all need to pre-make more decisions. That is to say, don't wait till you're in the heat of the moment. Don't wait to draw a line sexually till you're on your date. Don't wait till you're in the theater to say, what am I going to bring into my soul? Make some decisions ahead of time. For your heart. This, this is, this is where, what I'm going to live for. This is what, what I'm going to stand for. These are some things I'm not willing to do. I'm not willing to get into shady business deals. I'm not willing to do unethical things or things that are illegal or things that are outside of law. We need to choose ahead of time who we are going to be. That's how character is formed. What I'm trying to say is that the key to confidence in the bad times is consistency in the good times. And you are today determining what you're going to do on that dark ultimate day. When you get into that, like it, the pressure's really on, it's right now that you're forming character or the lack thereof that's going to be there to help you or, the, or to be there to hurt you. Don't wait till you're off at college to figure out what you're going to believe. Don't wait till you're off at this, at this situation. Choose now what kind of a husband you're going to be. Choose now what kind of a, of a wife you're going to be, what kind of a mom you're going to be. I, I just encourage you to make some decisions ahead of time. Uh, make some resolutions inside your soul. But because they were consistent in their behavior, they ended up courageous under pressure. And that's the second thing that we have to marvel at, that these men reached a place where they were just courageous under pressure 
pressure. Why is that? Well, because I believe they knew who God was. They knew who God was, and that's what they were thinking of on this day. You know, the cool thing about the Bible is that we get a picture of chronology. And I, I love that the book of Isaiah was written before the book of Daniel. The book of Isaiah was written before the book of Daniel. What does that mean? That means Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had access to what Isaiah wrote when he talked about this. Look at it. When you pass through waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So they're consistent in behavior. They remember God's with them. Now they're courageous under pressure. Why? Because they fear God. These are three people who fear. They, 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 they revere God, like the encounter Isaiah had. Woe is me, for I am undone. This God is worthy. They had this worship of God that, that, that was written over their life. It was the major story. It was the all caps headline. Everything else was a detail. And church, I got news for you. When you fear God, you don't have to fear anyone else. You never have to fear men. You never have to fear situations. You don't have to be afraid of anything when you all ultimately fear God more than everything. So they were courageous under pressure. Third thing I see is that they were cut free by the fire. As I read the story, I marvel at the fact that, that they actually, if you want to be technical about it, they were better off after the situation than they were before it. They were, they, this was actually a gift. Strangely wrapped, I'll grant you that. Strangely wrapped, I'll grant you that, but a gift. By the end, when it was all over, not in the moment, I guarantee you that. Not in the plain of Dura, they were standing there like everyone's bowing. They're like, uh, it's hard to go. That's a gift. This is a gift. This is, this is a gift. What a great gift. Yay, thanks for the gift. But by the time it was over, why? Because before they were thrown in, look at it, they were tied up. And by the end of it, look at it, they were unbound and unharmed. They went in, look at it, tied up. They came out unbound. Tied up, unbound. Tied up, unbound. Tied up, unbound. How many of you know that sometimes the only way to get unbound is to be going into the fire sometimes? That God has to put you in to a situation that will burn away what ties you up and keeps you away from your God-given destiny. Sometimes there are passions in our heart that aren't helping us. Sometimes we're tied up to addiction. Sometimes we're tied up to situations. Sometimes we have unhealthy addictions. We have unhealthy dependencies, reactions. And sometimes going into a fire helps you, you, you to find the dross burned away, that you're actually going to have more liberty because of the hard thing you went through, because God's going to show you he's with you, and that he'll never abandon you. First Peter, First Peter talks about this kind of purifying. It says, in this now you greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice. All God's people said, greatly rejoice. So that's not a little rejoicing. It's not like, yay. <laughs> Praise him. It, with a shout of joy, with, with arms raised in belief, with eyes closed in humble dependence. Greatly rejoice. So now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved. Look at it. Go back. Grieved. Grief? Greatly rejoice in grief? 
greatly rejoice, triumphant, victorious joy, grief, hurting, hard, weeping. Our automatic go-to response isn't, yay. Why? Because we're back in Dura and everyone's bowing and it's hard to go, gift. It takes faith to say this is a gift. Strangely wrapped, I'll grant him that, but a gift. Look at this. Why would we rejoice in the grief? Here we go. Because the result of it is going to be that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The only thing that comes out of a fire is preciousness. Gold comes in, pure gold comes out. And I just, I just encourage you to believe you're going to be cut loose by the fire. And that just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who by the end of the story, we didn't read it, they get promoted. So, so the, the goal of this backstory is their enemies wanted to tear them down. And that's why they set up this whole thing. And, and, and made sure, engineered the situation to cut them down. The end result was they get promoted. Wow. Now, in the middle of it, it felt like they were going to die. But the end result is better. The end result is purified. The end result is stronger. The end result is more confident. The end result is m- more uh, reliant on God's presence. Yeah. Miraculous strength. What I'm trying to say is I, I just encourage you to, to believe that when life gets seven times hotter, it's actually God trying to make you 10 times better. That right now, whatever you're going through that feels like it's not just a furnace, it's a furnace heated up seven times hotter. It's because on the back end, God, God, God wants you to be 10 times better than you are right now, 10 times fitter than you are right now, 10 times the father that you are right now. But what we shouldn't be so naive to believe would be that it's always going to look exactly like it looked on this day. What do you mean? Well, I mean, on this exact occasion, God chose to glorify himself and purify his people by bringing them out of the furnace. But God doesn't just work in one way. He has lots of ways, and his ways are not our ways. And what I've learned in my life and from scripture is that God can deliver you from the furnace or through it. He can deliver you from something or through something. So what what does that mean? That means that sometimes God calls you out of the furnace, and that's the deliverance. But other times, the deliverance is he allows you to stay in the furnace, and that can deliver you too. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew exactly that that was a possibility. In fact, if you look back at verse 17 and 18, they mentioned three things. I'm going to show them to you. The God we serve is able. He will rescue us from your hand. And the third thing is, but even if he doesn't, look at it again. Our God is able. He will deliver us from your hand, but even if he doesn't. And if you could learn those three things and hold them all, our God is able. No matter what, I'm delivered. No matter what, I win. No matter what, God's glorified. No matter what, his plans aren't thwarted. And even if he doesn't choose to do what I hope he does right here, what he is able to do, we're not going to bow anyway. We're still going to fear him. We're still going to love him. We're still going to keep loving you. We're still going to keep praying for you. We're still, even if you don't, 
let's, let's define our terms. God's able, right? He could snap his fingers, the oven goes out. Snap his fever, fever, fingers, your heart goes out, Nebuchadnezzar, right? They, this is what was in that. He could right now swoop in with angels. He, our God is able. But even if he doesn't, meaning he may not choose to do what he can do because of the plans that he understands that we can't, can't, don't even have access to. So what's the, what's the middle part? The triumphant part is no matter what, he will rescue us from your hand. What does that mean? Well, let's say God chose to let them get put into the fire and they burn and they die. What happens to them next? They instantly are transported to heaven where they are delivered from Nebuchadnezzar's hand and they instantly have no pain, instantly have no guilt, instantly have no sin where they are out of his clutches forever in God's presence for all eternity. So even if they die, they win. But if God chooses to deliver them out, which he's able, we win also. So no matter what, all we do is win, win, win because we are on the winning team. So no matter what, we're not gonna bow because we've already bowed down. You can't bow down when you're already bowing. And in our hearts, we're already worshiping the, the true and living God. All right, fourth thing is I love that they, were, they came out of the fire collected and not sour. Jot it down. They came out collected. The, the, the way they come out, these aren't like men who have just been in an oven. An oven so hot, the people who threw them in died throwing them in. They came out collected, which, by the way, I could preach for a long time about how when there's a grace on your life, you can do what other people find impossible. It's just all about the grace on you. So, but I won't. I'll talk about how they came out collected and not sour. Why? Because the text tells us that their clothes, they weren't burned, their hair, hair on their head, not singed. They didn't even smell of smoke. I'm just telling you, there's just something beautiful about understanding that the hard things you've gone through don't have to define you. They don't, they don't come out smelling like their trial. They don't, they don't, oh, man, you must have been through it. Yeah, let me tell you about it. It was horrible. They came, you would never even know. And I'm just, I'm just believing for a kind of strength, a kind of faith, a kind of resolve, a kind of worship in your life that being around you, I, I, I'd have to even have it. Wait, you've been through what? You've been through that? You're going through cancer? You're going through this? But there's such a strength about you, such a sweetness about you. You're not walking in all the time like, oh, it's so bad. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is the world. There's such a beautiful strength about you that God has done such a vibrant work in you. We'd have to even, we'd be surprised if we even knew what went on inside of you. You're not, you don't, you don't the devil wants you to smell like your trial. No, but, but there's just such a, a, a beauty in, in understanding that the work God wants to do is to free you from the victim mentality by giving you the, the, the victor's personality and just to understand the, the, the power and, and the strength that comes from being able to go through bitter experiences without becoming bitter yourself. And that these men were so sweet. They didn't smell like, like, like burnt flesh. They didn't smell like burnt hair. And, and, and they still had a, a pure heart towards Babylon. The next day, what do they do? Go to work go back to work for the king and, and work alongside people who had conspired to take them out. These are people who had the kind of faith my friend, Pastor Jensen Franklin talks about, that is to be able to love like you've never been hurt, to love like you never tried to get assassinated, to love like you weren't maligned, to love like you weren't conspired against, to love like you weren't gossiped about, that you won't, I'm just believing for you that you will not smell like the smoky situations you've been through. Why? Here we go. Because like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to live a life coded in God's power. Yes. Coded in God's yes. power. 
I bought my kids a book of science experiments, and one of the ones that we read about in the book was, I'll need a lab assistant for this, was one that involved soapy water and a, a beach ball. This is my daughter, Olivia, by the way. Say hi, Olivia, everybody. But I think safety first, children, so we'll, we'll be protected. Uh, this one involves uh, a beach ball, but not just any beach ball that you would fill normally with air before you take it to the beach. We filled this one up with methane gas, which is pretty dangerous, actually, uh, to, to be completely honest with you. And if you take a beach ball full of methane gas into a container full of dish soap, you, you can kind of do something neat because what you can do is This is a methane bubble. Don't breathe this, kids. deeper. It's like I'm playing the bagpipes. <laughs> there we go. That's a sweet spot. So these bubbles are all full individually of trapped methane gas. Before I grab it and have Olivia set it on fire in my hands, <laughs> what I'm going to do is coat my hands in water Here, good job, Livy. Thank you so much. Now, here's the thing. The reason that didn't burn me is because the fire couldn't touch me, because they were coated in the water that absorbed the heat. And I love so much that we get a picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How are they loose walking in the fire? Because of the one who was walking with them. The fire couldn't touch them because of who they were walking with who absorbed the flames, who absorbed the heat, who took the pain. So they were pleasant walking around in the fire. And this story in Daniel 3, it actually points us to Jesus. It points us, because not only because he was the one walking, I believe, in the fire with them, not only because Jesus was the, the son of God who showed up in that fire, but because on the day that he went to the cross, he willingly walked into the furnace so that you could safely come out. That's the gospel. Jesus willingly went into the fire. You'll notice that Jesus didn't walk out. These three men walked out. He stayed in. Why? Because he had unfinished business. As he would go to the cross and hang there in the fire, absorbing the fire and the heat of the wrath of God against sin, so that we could safely come out. And I love so much that this story shows us what happens when we're coded with God's power. 
And ultimately, the, the, the great strength we're going to have in the battles that we face is not relying on our love for God, but relying on his love for us. I titled this message, Worth Dying For. Not because I want you to walk out here thinking, I'm going to live for God and I'm, I, he's worth dying for. I, no, no, no. It's about you. You are worth dying for. What do you mean? I mean, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We're gonna walk out of here today with our heads held high. We're gonna praise God in trials and in grief because we were worth dying for. He loved us so much. He gave himself for us. And Father, we pray for peace in trials and strength in difficulties and consistent obedience in unseen little ways. And that through all of it, what would give us power, what would give us victory is keeping our eyes on the one who walked into the fire so we could safely come out. This belief in you surrounding us, surrounding us like a coat, surrounding us like a blanket, Surrounding us like armor. Surrounding us like, like police officers in a barrier. Surrounding us with power from above. Even when it seems like that's the last thing that seems true. Believing it's true and keeping our eyes on you. And that the things that we face are no match for the one who walks beside us and who surrounds us. Help us to believe this pray in Jesus' name. This is how I find my battles. 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 Oh, 
anything else that's surrounding us because we see only you surrounding us and help us to stop gazing at our life and gazing at our pain and staring at our pain and only occasionally glancing at you help us to practice your presence to stare at you then when we look up and see that giant trying to take us out we look up at that that person who's betrayed us, we look up at the situation that seems bleak, we won't be staring at the flames that have come for us because we'll only see you who's holding us safely in your mighty right hand. If you're here this week and at our church, you would just acknowledge the deep work that God's trying to do inside of us. Just this simple shift, this simple tweak that could change everything fighting our battles by believing that we're surrounded by God's power. If you're in some kind of storm, in some kind of a heat, in some kind of a hot situation right now, and you just would say, God, would you just surround me, remind me of that this week? If that's you, I'm describing, we just raise up your hand, every location, every location. Look, I'm raising mine up. It's hard to pastor this church. It's hard to be on this journey. It's hard 11 years in for us to keep fighting. It's, it's, it's so much easier to give up in any struggle. And right now, I'm telling you, I'm not going to give up as your pastor. I'm not going to give up in this moment, God, because I'm going to look at you surrounding me and not look at this church. I'm going to look at you surrounding us and not the finances and the building projects and the controversies and the lies and the rumors and the hard things and my own mistakes and frailty. I'm gonna, we're going to look at God. And with medical situations, with anxiety and depression, with marriages on the rocks or marriages that are over, with, with wayward prodigal sons and daughters, with, with mounting bills that are stacking up, with all of these hard things that we face every day, we, with our hands raised, we say, God, we're gonna stare at you. We're gonna love you first. We're gonna fear you and let all other things fall where they may. We're gonna be a people with something written on our soul. And when we get to the end, when we get to the grave, when we get to see you in heaven, we're gonna look back on all the hard things. We'll understand what you were doing. We're gonna look at all the pain. We'll understand you had a plan. We're gonna feel like, where were you then? We're gonna see then, you were right there. You were right there with us. So we believe it now when it's murky. We believe it now when it's hard hard to even breathe sometimes. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. I wanna give an invitation for anybody here this week. You've never given your hearts to Jesus. As we're all praying, eyes are closed, but our hearts are open. We have to acknowledge these times we're living in. This spectacularly sad week with both Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain taking their lives. Two people at the pinnacle of of what this world would, would say is success. 
a fashion empire, culinary go-to guy on CNN, on TV all the time, food and wine and the life that so many think, well, if I could just do that, fly around the world private, eating good food, that'd be that. The truth is inside all of our hearts is an emptiness. Speaking to people who are looking to lots of different things to fill a hole inside their soul. Maybe it's not money or, or, or power, New York City penthouse, maybe it's you're looking to your job to define you or, or success in some athletic endeavor or your business, whatever it is. Nothing will fill the hole in your soul but God. And Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers a plan, he offers peace, he offers hope. And I just wanted to give an invitation for anybody here who senses in your heart that you need to give your heart to Jesus. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. And I believe that the prayer of faith can tap you into the grace of God. That's the only thing that can save you from despair, from loneliness, from hopelessness, from darkness. There's meaning to life and it's found in knowing Jesus. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if you're ready to make this decision and give your heart to God, I want you to pray this out loud after me. I'm gonna ask the church family to pray it with us. Say this, dear God, invade my soul. I need you can't save myself. I'm alone, scared. I need you. I believe you love me. Come into my heart. Make me new. I give myself to you. Hey, thank you so much for watching this message. If you haven't yet, head on over to YouTube and click subscribe on Fresh Life's channel so you don't miss out on anything.